friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. This is the Bible class that I taught at Bastrop Church of Christ on January 23rd, 2022. I'll be posting the rest from this series, this series of classes on the Gospel of Mark. As I finish them, I'll be posting them on the podcast. So uh, feel free to come out to Bastrop Church of Christ and join us live at 930, or you can listen here. Enjoy. Revelation, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Give us ears to hear and open our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Uh, I'm going to teach from the Gospel of Mark. Um, I wonder if it's kind of like having children. You're not really supposed to have a favorite, but you might anyway. Like maybe you're not supposed to have a favorite gospel. I don't know, because it's all God's word. But for me, if I had a favorite, and I do, it's Mark. Mark is my favorite gospel. And it's not just because it's the shortest one. Don't, because believe you me, there's, there are some of you that will be like, yes, let's spend more time in Mark. And there are some of you that will be like, oh my word, how could he spend so much time on the shortest gospel? Good grief, just get on with it. Because I love Mark. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reading through Mark. Um, periodically, if I feel like my faith is dry, I'll pick up Mark and just start reading. Because Mark has been so formative for me. And this brings me to something I want to start with before we actually launch into the text. And I want to get to the text, because I'm a text guy. I'm a good old Church of Christ boy. But, like, uh, there's one thing I want to talk about. And this is something that um, I've kind of come to a realization about over time. And that is, Mark wrote Mark and not the other Gospels. Right? Meaning, God inspired Mark to write Mark. One thing that we're often tempted to do with the Gospels is to just kind of blend them. And, and there's, there's benefit to that, too, because there is an actual historical Jesus that lived and breathed, and we can kind of put together a timeline, and, and that's helpful. But, like, God didn't inspire Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He inspired Mark, and then he inspired Matthew, and then Luke. And John, like, he inspired each of them individually to write. And so, like, if you just read Mark's Gospel, like, we're going to have to make reference to other Gospels. There will be times when I'm like, no, quit referencing the other ones. Let's just see what Mark says for a minute. And you'll be like, no, but in Matthew it says, and I'll be like, no, let's just read Mark for a minute. Because God inspired Mark. It can stand on its own. It doesn't have to have reference to the others. We're going to. As much as I, I, I try to be a stickler, like, no, we're going to stay in Mark. It always happens that we're like, well, but, you know, Matthew says this. And Luke says, I get it. But remember, God inspired Mark all on his own. And so Mark stands on its own as, a, as one literary piece, a gospel beginning to end that, that tells the story of Jesus in a unique way. And that, that's what I want to hit on. Mark tells the story of Jesus only the way Mark could. And the, the cool thing really is that it's the same thing with Luke, same yes. thing with Matthew. Yes. And we need those perspectives. Yes. Because you get one side and the concurrence, the fact that you know, nothing's valid, Jesus said, but two or more witnesses, you've got to have more than one gospel. Sure, absolutely. It's not valid. Absolutely. And I think, the, I think it says something of the early church that they, that they recognized the inspiration of 
four yes, instead of did. one. Yeah. Like there, there actually was a guy at the turn of the second century, I believe, who tried to just morph them all together and like hodgepodge Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they were like, no, that's heresy. Yeah, they were like, that's heresy. What was his name? We, we went over it. I forgot. The guy that was in Europe. He kind of pulled, pulled his, made his own Bible, and everybody kind of gave him grief. That's who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. But it, uh, people were like, no, you can't do that. You like, can't do that, right. Mark wrote Mark. Matthew wrote Matthew. Like, you can, like, there's benefit to, like, the gospel harmony, if you've ever read those. Those are beneficial. But also, I, I get nervous whenever people are like, let's study the gospels, and they only pull out the gospel harmony. Because I'm like, no, read Matthew. And see what Matthew paints the picture as. There, there was a textbook I had in college called Four Portraits, One Jesus. And it was about, it was a survey of the Gospels. And it was really trying to say, here's the picture Matthew paints of Jesus. Here's the picture. And I really like that image because they stand side by side. And so I, I really think there's something to be said for that. And so if we reference the other ones, when we reference the other ones, let's try to say, okay, well, that's different from Mark's picture. And then compare them. That's where I think some of the most benefit comes in. Uh, for that, yeah. Think about, oh, sorry. sorry. Okay. Uh, think about, you know, they were written in, in some order. In, yes. In, uh, not sure I'd know Probably exactly, Mark first. Probably Mark we'll talk first. about that. Luke, but I could see Luke go reading, you know, the thought of them reading each other's. Oh, they book. certainly did. And and because it's obvious that you know yes. these line up sometimes that are yes. dead on. But uh, I could see Luke, and he kind of even starts out at the beginning. I'm doing this to make an orderly. It's kind of like you have a little jazz, yes. like, yes. you guys really miss some stuff. Somebody know? has read John's gospel. It's not yeah. at all orderly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John's like totally different. Very. John's yeah, out in the, left field, yeah. yeah. And so, but, but the personality comes through a little bit. Yes. And Luke, maybe being more educated, Certainly. more structured and sure. more precise. And, yes. And probably went and did interviews because there's... Mm-hmm. All the stuff about Mary and mm-hmm. her perspective of things is all, is only in Luke. There's a lot of stuff that's and, only in Luke. And yeah. you, you, he had to have gone and talked to Mary. So what happened when Absolutely. you found out you were pregnant and what you and Elizabeth and all? I would love to hear that. that I want to hear that. I would love yeah. if only they had day, sixty minutes back then. He could have just sat down yeah, and we could record it and watch it. Yeah. So you can see <laughs> him doing. You can just see him doing research. Yes. And, well, he says that at the beginning. He's like, I've taken it up to write an orderly account. I've looked at the sources. I've used multiple. He's the only one who explicitly says, I looked at other stuff and I've referenced it. Yeah. And he says that in the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. He's like, done my research. I know what I'm talking about. He's a doctor. So, yeah, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. What were you going to say? So you mentioned early church. Yeah. Can you define that for me? Sure. What do you mean by that? First two to three centuries-ish. Usually it's those who were the apostles. That's the earliest church. But then early church usually refers to people who knew the apostles in that general time frame. Um, So, like, for example, there's a guy who wrote in the early church, Clement, and he's not an apostle, but he knew Paul. Like, he worked with Paul. And he wrote letters to the Corinthians after Paul, and he said, hey, Paul already wrote to you people. And you're still struggling with the same problems. And so, like, he knew Paul, and so there was, like, a real direct teaching directly from them. Um, so that would be, like, the earliest church. And the reason why I ask is yeah. it, it, it's always hard for me to get my head around that comment of the early church. Mm-hmm. We, we do this because the early church did this. Right. We are trying <laughs> to be like the, early, the, right. the original church, the early church. But in reality, I'm 60 years old, and I'm... Um, 
you know, by your definition, I'm not even one third of what the early church was experienced. <laughs> so, sure. It's hard. Sometimes I get a little frustrated. Sometimes I, I question when we when we do that because the church in name the city, Corinth, whatever, mm-hmm. they didn't have all these gospels. In fact, right. These, these, yeah, they did. There were there was hundreds of gospels out there, yep. and it was going down until um, you know they were um, brought together. What three hundred? About that long ago. Yeah. So in the three in the three hundreds, yeah. I guess um, that's when it was officiated. It's kind of a misnomer to say they were gathered in three hundred. One of the reasons that they said these are the ones that are the New Testament is because they said, well, these are the ones the churches are using, and so if the churches across from east and west, from Rome to Constantinople, if they were all using it, they were like, okay, no doubt it's in. And there were five books that were completely undisputed, and that was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Paul's letters were also used almost completely unanimously. The only ones that were kind of like not used as much were Revelation and Hebrews. But they were like, no, they're still in because they're used significantly enough. Yeah, but nobody uses the Gospel of Thomas. Like, that's significant. There's a reason it's not in our Bible. Like, nobody used the Gospel of Judas or Thomas. Like, those are weird fringe things for a reason. That, that was the purpose of the canonization. Yes. Yes, and canonization is fascinating. But to get back to my original point is, is when we make a phrase the early church most of the time we don't realize that's two three hundred years yes of experiences and writing sure. and, and preaching and different things and it's it, to me it seems like it's a i don't know it's very confusing yes to be able to articulate that to understand that to be able to grasp that because in our little reality here you know we've only been on the earth for a little while compared to what the you know, original church was. And when we reference back to it as a... It, it, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say... It's not a single thing. It's actually a big thing. As a yeah. single sure. time yes. or period. Churches of Christ do that a lot. It's actually, it's actually generations of, yes. of things. Great point. And churches of Christ like to do that too. The early church. It's really like the early churches. It's really like a broad phenomenon. Yeah, excellent. Absolutely. Well, and if you think about, it probably would be referring to an early, uh, like the transition between temple worship. And, and so that'd be absolute earliest, because yeah, temples then, destroyed seventy, yeah. and so they're like, "Wait, are you Jewish or are you Christian?" And right. They're like, "Yes and no." Right. I'm a Jewish Christian. They're like, "Yes and no." And so they're setting up right. the, yeah. you know, they're setting up the the, the actions, the, 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 the what we do how we worship was being set up during that time and established during that time. Mm-hmm. And I always think about, okay, you've got a lot of people that came from the Jewish tradition where they were doing very specific things. And then you had Gentiles who had been going up to the temples, mm-hmm. prostitutes. I mean, big difference Some in crazy where stuff. people are coming from. And I, <laughs> sure. like, when I start thinking we can't handle our differences with yes. our denominations and stuff, like, just think about how the early church was dealing with such diverse yes. backgrounds. I mean, yes. And I think that's where some of the scripture that's kind of pointed and says, don't do this, is because stuff was going on that divisions was coming from. That's why Romans was written. Yeah. Like, the Jewish, so they're in Rome, and the church is usually primarily Jewish at first, and a little bit Gentile, so they do things a little more Jewish. Then the emperor kicks the Jews out of Rome, 
So then they leave, but the church is still growing. So then it becomes more Gentile. Then the Jews are allowed back into Rome. And then the Jews are like, hey, hey, we're doing things my way again. And the Gentiles are like, no, there's more of us now. And we've gotten used to doing things our way. We're doing things our way. And then now they're fighting. And then Paul says, wait, none of it matters. You're all sinners. Just obey the gospel. And then he writes Romans to kind of intercede. So absolutely. Yes. Yes. So he's like. To Alex's point, too. Well, kind of sort of to your point. Every city where a church was established had its own had its own issues, dealing with its own influences, and so the letters had to be different to address the problems that were happening in that city. So there's no early church. There's early churches. Yeah, yeah. Because it was diverse even beginning. Like the church in Jerusalem is not the church in Rome. It's very different. Like it is the church because it's the capital C church, but lowercase C. No, it's a completely different phenomenon. Like they worship very differently. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. And I think we often, we especially Church of Christ, often forget that. <laughs> but uh, that's a debate for another day. Um, so you were talking about gospel order. Probably, best hunch, Mark wrote first. Uh, Mark probably is the earliest gospel. There's good reason to think that. And part of it is because it is shorter. And another thing is um, Matthew and Luke. So I used to say if Mark, Matthew, and Luke were students in my class, somebody would get in trouble for plagiarism because they took directly from one another, like word for word. And it's not just, so like, it's pretty obvious in English, but English is a language where you have to have word, uh, sentence structure, so that it's subject, verb, object, like you have to keep that structure. You don't have to do that in Greek, because the words themselves are like, the way it's formed, you can tell it's the object. And so you can put it at the beginning of the sentence, and you still know it's the object. And you can put the subject at the very end of the sentence, and you still know it's the subject. I can't tell you how many times I'm translating along, and then I'm like, crap, I forgot about this verb all the way down here, and then I have to go bring the verb back and put it back in. And so whenever you have a language like that where you can have basically the same sentence, the same meaning, but jumble the words in any order, and it's the exact same order for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, you're like, okay, you took that from somebody. Like, you took that from Mark. And um, they didn't have copyright laws back then, of course. And if God inspires Matthew to steal from Mark, like, who am I to say otherwise? <laughs> right. well, they both saw the same thing. That's right. Yeah. So it's just a matter of kind of clarifying. I think it's more like, hey, Mark, you left some stuff out. Right, right. And then he adds his perspective to it. And then Luke's like, no, 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 no. Both of you left some stuff out. And then John's like, forget all that. I'm going to do my own thing. But, you know, in watching The Chosen... Uh, I love the chosen. It's easy to see how that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we act like that everybody's sitting there at the exact same time the whole time. Mm-hmm. And somebody may have been sent to town to go get something and may have had a portion of it, just like we may hear a portion of a sermon. Mm-hmm. And if we're not there for the whole thing, we can only account for what we saw, what we heard, right? Right. Right. And I mean, but we take this thing very linear, like mm-hmm. everybody's sitting there taking notes. No. And they probably didn't take notes. They didn't have notebooks. Exactly. Like, paper's right. expensive, but, super expensive. You know, what, one, Which of, says something one of the about parts the, that I love in The, the Chosen is when, is when uh, Matthew is helping Jesus prepare for the Sermon on the Mount. And he's out helping him kind of gather his thoughts and put it together the way that, that Jesus is, you know, Jesus is just kind of doing this. Matthew says, what if you changed this and you did this before this? And he goes, that's a really good idea. And then when he gives the that season two? Out, that's what happened. I haven't seen that part yet. So, yes, it's season two. I need to watch that. Okay, sorry. And then another part that you see in there that's really good, too, is in the Christmas specials that they did for the last two years. When you piece that together, one of those is Mary Magdalene coming in and, and talking with Mother Mary 
and going over some things that were happening about the birth of Jesus that she shared. It's, and, and then you see John in, in sitting down with all the people getting their accounts because he's trying to get everything down on paper before everybody forgets what happened. Yes. So, I mean, and to yeah. me, there's a little bit of artistic license in yes. there, but at the same time... An inspired poetic license. Yes. But very license similar to what really happened. Yes. You know? And or so, something that aggravates me, like the Sermon on the Mount, or any of the sermons. Jesus probably preached for a good long time. Right. Oh, like, absolutely. this is more like the spark notes, right? Like, it's, right. it's written yes. so that it's easier. Like, they had to conserve paper. They don't have a lot of paper <laughs> yes. to begin with. This is a super expensive writing endeavor back then, so it's like... Well, what is it like we summer. talked about it in here? Was it saying John? All the things that yes. Jesus had done had been written down. We wouldn't have room for all the books. That's correct. Yes. So There's no see way. But a glimpse. Yes. Absolutely. What they wanted us to know. Absolutely. And because of that, and this exact phenomenon, this is part of the reason I love Mark, because he's not as polished. He's really not. And I'm going to try to show this to you. And especially if you read in Greek, like, Mark is bad at grammar. Like, he would have failed grammar school. It's hard to read, not because it's really good Greek, but because it's really, really bad Greek. For example, he has a favorite word, and it comes out a little in English, but I'm going to show this to you while we read it, because this is one of my favorite things. He uses the word immediately, over and over and over. and yeah. He uses it 42 times in 16 chapters, Okay, where it's only used like 12 times elsewhere in the rest of the New Testament. Like, he, he loves this word. One of my friends says it's like Mark is a little kid telling a story. And, and then... Oh, oh, and then, oh, and then, and, and so he's just kind of like, apparently, he has like an excitement and an urgency about the gospel, the and that's really a theme kid. for him. What did you say? He's the apparently kid. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Of the little kid, and he, he learns the word. It's like oh, a, like whenever a kid learns a word and they can't stop and using he's it. Describing the ride, the Ferris wheel ride, or whatever, and he goes, and apparently, he's only like six years old, but you can tell that. that's that's a new word for him, and he I uses love it, it like ten times. Yes, Mark learned a new Sorry, word. Mark <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Mark learned a new word, and it's immediately, and he wants to use it. That's fine. I, I'm good. You get to go back to the beginning. You'll find you'll find out how this works. <laughs> it's fine we'll get there we got time i'm not in a rush i want to soak in mark's gospel so i hate whenever like like i love a good slow reading like let's read it and let it do something and i think mark is going to do something because it's um it's it's subtle mark is subtle too because his grammar is terrible it's terrible i'll just tell you but you read it and you're like wait a second he might have done that on purpose and it, it, he has these little things he'll say that you're like, wait, what was that? I think he's alluding to something in the Old Testament. It's, it's beautiful. I love, love, love Mark's gospel. And probably, his, so there was a, let's see here. There was a man in the second century, early church, second century, Papias, uh, a second century, he's a bishop in Asia Minor. He has a writing where he says, Mark got his stories from Peter. So Mark travels to Rome possibly to visit Paul, because Paul's probably dying in prison in Rome. And in 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, hey, bring John Mark with you when you come. And so perhaps that's how he gets to Rome. He gets to Rome, he's, Peter's there, it seems, and he listens to the sermons of Peter, and then he takes all these notes and tries to get everything down that he can, and then that's where he writes his gospel. So sometimes I'd like to think of it as Mark kind of narrates the story and sometimes just kind of shuffles his notes together from Peter's sermons and like, there you go, that'll make. And that's just what he does because, I mean, maybe he didn't have a lot of paper and so maybe he just kind of wrote it down as he could and then put it in there. So, and then, and then, and then. So maybe it really is kind of a, 
he's writing, dictating what Peter's saying a little bit at times. Wasn't the organized, methodical approach that we tend to project on? Yes, yes. Very Western, right? Luke, Luke is more our style. Like, there's a reason we like Luke. He's very organized. And even Matthew is very organized. John and Mark, not very organized. John has got like this conceptual conceptual world where he's just like cycling through themes and you're like, you just repeated yourself 30 times. I have no idea what you're talking about. And Mark, he just kind of jumbles it together. But it, uh, it works. Is it time? No. What time do we... 10.15. Uh... Oh, 10.15. Great. Um, so this is probably the John Mark spoken of elsewhere in Scripture. He's the cousin of Barnabas who goes on a missionary journey with... Paul and Barnabas at one point, and then he quits and goes home. Then Barnabas wants to bring him again later, and Paul's like, not happening. Absolutely not. Do you remember this? Yeah, he was and, a quitter. Yeah, he was a quitter. And John, so Paul was like, mm, no, not my friend. But uh, I, I guess Mark redeemed himself in his mind, or at least Paul wanted to make up, because, again, at the end of 2 Timothy, he says, hey, bring John Mark with you when you come. Bring him with me. And it seems like Paul's on his deathbed. That's probably the context of 2 Timothy. He's near, he's near the end. He sees the writing on the wall. And so probably he says, yeah, bring John Mark with you. So he's either making up or they've already made up and he just wants to see him again. And he wrote a gospel. So, I mean, he may have deserted at the beginning, but he, um, he made it up in the long run. And it's hard to tell whether it was legitimate. You know, they're just people. That's right. They got in arguments. And even Paul is not infallible. And like that's right, maybe Paul just got aggravated at Mark because he's like, "There's work to do," and Mark's like, "I got to go home and take care of my mom." Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you never know. You never we know. don't know. We'll find out one day. It'll be we'll find out. I have a lot of questions for Mark. <laughs> I have a lot of questions for a lot of people, but I have a lot of questions. Yeah. For Mark. Okay, so one other thing before we actually read the text is a couple of things that make Mark unique that I just wanted to tell you about. Just some things that I'm going to try to point out, but I just wanted to tell you ahead of time. That way, if I don't point it out, maybe you'll see it and you'll be like, hey, what is this? And then we can talk about it. So the first one, you're going to come to love, and I hope you brought an appetite, Markin sandwiches. Okay? Markin sandwiches. Markin sandwiches. That's a, that's a fancy word. Mark likes to sandwich stories. Okay? We're going to see this over and over and over. He'll start telling a story, interrupt himself, tell a different one, and then come back. Or he'll say one key word here, tell a different story, then say that key word again. And it sandwiches. It's like the things in the bracket interpret the thing in the middle. The bread interprets the meat and the cheese. Okay? Uh, so, for example, in, I think it's chapter 14, um, the fig tree. He curses the fig tree. He goes into the temple, cleanses, cleanses the temple. I don't like that term. We'll talk about that. Cleanses the temple. And then he comes back out, and the fig tree's withered. And the disciples are like, whoa, we were just out here. Do you see that sandwich? Fig tree, temple, fig tree. It's almost as if he's saying, hmm, when something's not bearing fruit, we're going to have to curse it and it's going to wither like the temple is about to do. I mean, that's kind of what he's getting at. And there's a bunch of those. There's one in the early chapters that I like to call. Are you ready for this? I'm so proud of this. I need to copyright this. Hannah, Hannah's heard this before. I'm so, so, so proud of this. I've knocked over many a cup of coffees because I was so excited to announce this. There's a section in, in the early chapters where Mark does like a layer on top of a layer on top of a layer. So like three breads and then the middle. I call it the big Mark. 
I am so, so proud of that. I need, I need to like publish something calling it the Big Mark because I don't want anybody to steal that. Oh, it's brilliant. Because like the Mark and Sandwich, that's a thing. Like you can read about it. But the Big Mark, that's all 100% Andrew Hicks. I'm proud of that. Darn it. It's good. Just to regress or go back up a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get to it in the story. It, that story about the fig tree has always bugged me. Uh-huh. And the reason being is that it's not like Jesus that came upon the fig tree and it should have been bearing figs. It wasn't the season for it bearing figs. It wasn't the season. Right. So why did Jesus curse a fig tree that wasn't supposed to be That's bearing That's a great question. Fruit? So anyway. It's a great question. For thought. I've thought it about that before. It's definitely something to think about. Yeah. I have some constructive suggestions. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I didn't mean to sidetrack. No, no, you're good. Right. That, that is, uh, and you know, Mark especially likes to highlight anything that makes us go, what? He loves that. Yeah. So like the other gospels, they, they show some of that, but Mark more than anybody else loves to tell the that stories fact. that That's makes correct. us go, what? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And, and this is another theme for Mark, the mysterious Messiah. So Jesus has the, you probably noticed this before, and it used to bother me for a long time, but now I think I have it figured out. But uh, Jesus does this thing every now and then where he'll heal somebody and then he'll say, shh, don't tell nobody. Right. And he sternly warns them, don't tell anybody. And you're like, what? You know, we better go do it. <laughs> you're Jesus. We're trying to spread the good news, proclaim the gospel. In Mark, more than any other gospel, in the first eight chapters, he has the most stories of Jesus being secretive. They show up a little bit in Matthew and Luke, but Mark has like 12 of them in a row in the first eight chapters. And some of those are not found in the other gospels. He really likes those stories. And Jesus will, he'll heal somebody and then he'll sternly warn them. And then another thing that's really weird, that's like the key word for Mark's gospel, by the way, weird. That's Mark's gospel. But there's another thing, he'll, the demons will be saying, I know who you are. And then he, he tells them to be quiet the text says, because they know who he is. Right. And he tells them, don't tell anybody, because they know who he is. And I'm like, wait, don't you want people to know who you are? Maybe he doesn't want people to know perfectly. Maybe, maybe there's some confusion and he doesn't want them. I don't know. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You kind of see that in the chosen a little bit, too. Yeah. You know, the, the apostles and the disciples, I should say, because mm-hmm. there's more than, than the 12. Sure. But they're always excited. You know, they're always, if they want to share, they, you know, they're into popularity. Well, and even the water and the wine. Yeah. Mary's like, hey, look at this problem. I know yeah. you can fix this. And he's going, it's not time. Right. Yeah, Only a time. mother could get yeah, God the Son to do something he wasn't originally going to do. Yeah. Only a mother could do that. Listen, <laughs> I know you got a timeline going on, but uh, yeah. Mama said so. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. So the mysterious Messiah immediately. Oh, I didn't say immediately. Immediately. That's his favorite word. That shows up over and over. There is an urgency to the gospel for Mark. But there's also not because he takes 16 chapters worth of time to tell the story. But it's also urgent. And in fact, uh, Mark's gospel might not end the way you think it does. We'll get into, we'll get into that later. Because Mark's gospel actually ends on a cliffhanger. It actually ends where you're like, wait, nuh-uh. Because Mark likes that. Because there's an urgency to the gospel. I think Mark wrote his gospel in a way that provokes us to action. It's provocative. Mark writes in a way that we say, <laughs> and we push back. I think he really, I think God inspired Mark to write in such a way that it, may, it like jumps off the page at you and makes you want to do something. And I, I think we'll see that. Um, 
Mark also uh, really, so Mark doesn't quote the Old Testament much. He echoes it. So a quotation would be like, you know, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. An echo would be like I'm talking and I just say, well, as our shepherd would, would say, green pastures. Yeah, it's just those little phrases, but then you're like, wait, he's alluding to Psalm 23. Mark does that. He does that more than anything else. And in fact, there are some strange phrases in Mark that you're going to read. And you're going to be like, what in the world does that mean? And I think if we look at the Old Testament, in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, it'll be like, oh, and it'll really illuminate some of it. So, and then his grammar is really awful, like really, really awful. Okay. So we still have like 10 minutes to hop into the actual text of Mark. Oh, the actual text of Mark. I love Mark. Okay. You ready? Don't worry. We're not going to make much progress because we're going to take our time. And here's one other thing. I said we're hopping into the text. One thing, we're going to spend a lot of time on the first 15 verses, and here's why. It's the introduction. Does anyone like musical theater at all? I like musical theater. What's the overture? What's the overture? No. <laughs> the overture, you know, like you're sitting down, the lights come down, and then you sit there, and nothing's happening, but they play that music at the beginning, and every musical note that will show up in all the songs later are present in that first bit, like a summary. it's the overture. Yeah. yeah, it's like the, let's get you a taste for the music that is to come. Like Give you a feel for it. Yeah, table of contents. That's the first 15 so verses of Mark. I never knew that. It's cool. It's the overture. It, it's, it's the, let me give you the flavors you're going to look for as you enjoy the rest of this meal. Let me give you the, 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 the tones, the, the, uh, the chords that you're going to look for as you go on. And so, We've got to pay really close attention to the first 15 verses, or else we're going to miss some of the beauty that he has in the rest of it. Okay? Okay. That being said, let's hop into the text of Mark. I love Mark. Okay. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One verse. We're making progress. Can I ask a question? Yeah, please. I use the New Revised Standard Version. Yeah, NRSV, but I'm good with whatever. Use whatever you want, and whenever it's different, tell me, and we'll talk about it. It's great. Yeah, I use the NRSV. Uh, The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. See, I disagree with this one. I think it should say Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. It should add the word the. The beginning. Does any other gospel start talking about beginnings? No, any other gospel. John. John. Yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Yeah, which is interesting because John is the most unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he's the only other one that starts with beginning. Now, it's a different beginning because John's like going back to the beginning, like Genesis, maybe the pre-Adamic world or whatever. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Mark, the beginning, what is it the beginning of in Mark? Beginning of the Gospel of the gospel about Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God. It can't be the beginning of God. Because it can't be the beginning no of God. Beginning. There's no beginning of God. So. But it's the beginning of the good news. I don't know. Notice Mark doesn't give us like a birth story. You know that? Like you, you start reading and we're going to launch right into the prophecy in Isaiah about John the Baptist. And then like John the Baptist shows up. He's baptizing, then Jesus gets baptized, then he goes to the wilderness. I mean, John's like, uh, Mark is like, let's just move this along. You know, let's just get with the program. Matthew and Luke are both like, no, 
there was the virgin birth, and there was the wise men, and, and they go through all this stuff, but Mark just says, here's the beginning. So here's a question. When does the gospel start? When does the gospel start? Or at least when does Mark think the gospel starts? Oh, well, he launches right into Isaiah. He He seems to think it starts with John, right? So, like, John's fulfilling this prophecy. I, that's, that's what I think he's getting at. Like, John shows up and he's like, all right, now things are really moving. The pieces are coming into place. The characters are yeah, and if Mark is the earliest gospel, he might feel an urgency, especially if he wrote first, he might feel an urgency to be like, look, let's just get down to the essentials. I don't want to give you anything that you don't absolutely have to have right at this second. I just want to give you what you got to have. And so he launches right into John the Baptist. Apparently we have to have stuff about John the Baptist. All four gospels mention John. He's important to the story. Absolutely. He's really, really important to the story. Like he, he says, you know, I'm not the guy. The guy's coming after me. But he is really key to the story. Like, he does a lot of preparation. He does the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And, and that's an, we'll talk about that. That's a whole interesting thing, too, which is a little different from the way Judaism baptized. Jews baptized in the first century, by the way. Did you know this? We'll talk about that. But uh, the beginning, the beginning of the gospel. And gospel, ooh, let's talk about gospel. Good news. Good news. So... We can be tempted to hear good news and not hear it the way they would have heard it in the first century. Because in the first century, it had a lot of meaning. Like it was loaded, a loaded term. So for Jews, it was a loaded term because it refers to like the stuff Isaiah foretold about blessed are the feet of the one who brings good news. And it was about God's deliverance. And that was often like we have writings where gospel is used to describe any act of God's deliverance in Israel's history. And so they'd be like, gospel, that's gospel. And so it was like a, it was a very religious word for them. But it's also a very secular word in the larger Roman world. Because this is the word they used whenever they make a royal decree saying, Caesar has conquered and there is victory. There is good gospel. It's good news because we just defeated the enemies and now there's Roman peace. But you only keep Roman peace by beating down everybody else. Jesus has a different way of keeping peace. But we can get to that later. Yeah. So, what was the Hebrew equivalent? Good question. Um, I read that. You don't have to. I don't know if I wrote it down. I'd just be curious, maybe for next week. I'll look it up because I saw that when I looked at it that there is a Hebrew word. I don't know. I saw it. I'll look it up. I'll I'll have my people get with your people, (laughs) which is just me. Which is just me. Hannah used to say she wanted to get me a dog tag that said, oh, no, I'm lost. Have your people call my people. Because I say that all the time. Have your people call me. I don't have any people. So, yeah. But gospel is certainly, it, it's, a, it, it's a triumphant victory word for, the, for Rome. Like, it's, it's um, we are the champion. That's, it's, it's that. And it, this word is plastered all over Rome, especially. And so they would like run through the streets and be like, Caesar's conquered again. Caesar's con- we won the war. We won the war. And it, it's that kind of phenomenon. So on the one hand, we hear it. And we're like, oh, you know, the beginning of the gospel, like Jesus. But imagine how provocative it might be in the first century to hear this, the beginning of the gospel about Caesar, question mark. About God the Father, question mark. About Yahweh, the God of the Jews, no. 
well, yes, but no, about Jesus, who is the Christ, Christ. who is the Son of God. What? Oh, Son of God, that's another interesting phrase. Caesar called himself Son of God. That was a favorite title for Caesar. So the coins in Rome, so you remember the story where Jesus says, uh, they're like, hey, should we pay taxes or not? And then he says, well, bring me a coin. And they say, okay. And he says, whose image and whose inscription? You know what I used to think he said was whose image and whose image, but there's two questions there. Whose image, so the picture on the coin is Caesar, but then the second question, whose inscription? What did that inscription say? Long live the son of God. And it wasn't referring to Jesus. It was referring to, to Caesar. Ooh. Ooh. Now, Christ and Messiah, that's, that's clearly a, a Jewish word. Um, so in Greek, it's Christ, Christos. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach or Messiah. Okay, so those words are interchangeable. Messiah and Christ, same thing. And so sometimes, it, this aggravates me. I wish they would do it consistently. Because like in my translation of Mark, sometimes they say Christ, sometimes they say Messiah. And I'm like, it's the same word. Pick one and keep it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. So I highlight the same word in the same color all the way through. That way I'm like, oh, okay. And it's just a reminder to me. That's what that is. That's what that is. But um, anointed one is what it means, literally. Christ or Messiah, anointed one. So anointed like as king. So this is interesting also. Yes, it is referring to like the Christ, but there were also like King Herod. He's a king. He's anointed as king. So he would have called himself a Christos, an anointed one. So this was a term, also a royal term. I just want you to see this royal imagery. This guy, like this is a very triumphant, victorious, very in-your-face provocative kind of statement. Like, I just, like the first verse, we're only in the first verse, but I don't want you to miss, like, you could get killed for saying things like this in the ancient world. And the, the Jews kind of used that, I think, to the Romans against Jesus by saying yes. he's claiming to be... Exactly. It's a play on words. It's semantics whenever they get to his... uh, They're like, well, he's claiming to be king. And then Pilate's like, you mean king of the Jews? And they're like, well, if that gets him crucified, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's semantics, the anointed one. And no reason... No wonder Herod is threatened in Matthew. See, here we are in Matthew now, even though we're in Mark. No wonder Herod is so threatened by this baby, because he's the Christ. Herod is a Christ, an anointed one. This is the anointed one. No wonder he's threatened by it. No wonder he's threatened by Jesus. I mean, this kid is the anointed one. He's the one that rightfully has the throne. He really is legitimately, not just metaphorically, the son of God. So, anyway, man, we made progress. Verse 1. All right. Oh, yeah. But do you, do you have a feel for Mark? Are you excited about Mark? I, I'm telling you, I love, 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 love Mark's gospel. It is so beautiful. And uh, it's provocative. I hope you get that from the first verse already. Okay, we'll try to make a little more progress next week. It's futile. Try to. It's futile. We'll attempt. We'll see. We'll see. We don't make progress. At least Max wasn't here to heckle me. He told me he was going to sit in here and heckle me, and at least he wasn't here. Uh, you know, got a little bit more progress without him. If he's in here next week, maybe not. But would somebody like to close this in prayer? Anybody? Go ahead. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to begin this study and we just pray that the, the words that you breathe into Mark are made alive to us uh, in these next few weeks and uh, that you will bring to us the message that you intended uh, even back then. So 
we just uh, thank you thank you for this uh, opportunity to study your word and we just pray that your spirit is in, in us to see uh, your will for us and it's in christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.